welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Eli. And now we're going to continue our Madame Blavatsky uh, with our third part. Dave, what do you got for us? So, Alcott wrote about her in an article in the graphic. And Alcott is the guy that she met in New York? Yes. Okay. Henry Still Alcott. This article launched her into a celebrity-like status. The two also became great friends, and they even had nicknames for each other. He was Maloney, and she was Jack, or Mulligan, Latchkey, and sometimes Old Horse. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Old Horse, get over here! Hey, Old Horse. I like how he just has Maloney. And she's got all these others. Well, obviously, she's not very that like that artistic when it comes to, yeah, you know. And he's like, "I want you to be my friend." Well, I would have to say I'm pretty impressed that she was able to give him a a nickname. Oh yeah, and like, a, well, she hasn't had any materialistic or not materialistic, but like friendships really throughout her. I mean, she's had people that she's been close with, but not like this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, pet name—that's what I was going for. She's actually got a pet name for him. It's like a relationship yeah. without, yeah. like, an intimate... Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, the two were almost complete opposites. Gary Lackman describes them as an esoteric odd couple. Blavatsky, the wild, eccentric, unconventional mystic, wrapped in ill-fitting robes, puffing incessantly on her cigarettes, and broadcasting her opinions on all and sundry and unfortunate often coarse vocabulary, while her magnetic eyes captivated everyone around her. Alcott, the sober, earnest, respectable Yankee lawyer, his long flowing beard and stolid demeanor announcing his Victorian propriety, while he cringes slightly at his chum's ill manners. I meant to say this in the last episode when we were talking about her blue, sometimes gray eyes. Anybody who has light colored eyes, that's what happens to your eyes. Yeah. They're always yeah. different colors. Yeah. Like mine are sometimes blue, sometimes green, sometimes gray, sometimes purple. Sometimes azure. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, actually have, I actually have two different colored eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And like sometimes, yeah, one's blue and one's green. Okay. Uh, but like sometimes one eye that's more green or Sometimes they'll match. It's kind of weird, and it's, it really does come down to emotion. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the more tired I am, the darker my eyes get. Is one thing I've noticed. Like they'll get that almost purplish color when I'm really tired, and maybe it's the bloodshot going into the blue, <laughs> just <laughs> <Could putting, be. laughs> putting the purple. Purple. <laughs> but and then yeah, sometimes they're green. Sometimes they're you know light blue. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes they're tie dye. Where it's darker and then it gets lighter and then it goes like there's like a hazel circle around the center. Oh. Yeah. But light colored eyes just change. That's reptilians. Just part of it. Yeah, we're reptilians. 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 <laughs> when Bavlatsky arrived back to New York, she moved to 23 Irving Place, just a few doors away from the Lotus Club, where Alcott was staying while he was going through his divorce. Since their meeting in Chittenden, Blavatsky and Alcott were nearly inseparable. She had begun to tutor Alcott in occultism, and it was her mission to bring it to the West. She had already explained the phenomena was the work of elementals, 
and that he too could master these forces if he were willing to accept the necessary rigors. It required celibacy, abstinence from drink, and a vegetarian diet, among other challenges. Oh, I'm out. Well, me I couldn't give too. up meat. <coughs> I couldn't. She, yeah, I... Like how that's the one I couldn't give that up. That you could give up the sex. <laughs> uh, I pretty drinking. much already do. <laughs> now, I already Bo- gave up drinking. Now, Blavatsky in her life didn't necessarily stick to a vegetarian diet. But all it really does is limit your power. So you can you can eat meat, you just may not be able to survive the next gunshot. Well, see, I've already... <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. That's why she can survive. <laughs> no sex makes you stronger, I guess. I mean, it does... There is, there is test proven that, like, when you don't have sex or, uh, well, in lame terms, ejaculate, uh, you do gain a sense of, like, clear-mindedness. That that's actually a study I was that's going been with superpowers. But well, yeah. I mean, clear. My, I mean, it does bring you closer to like a center. Well, it's because all the blood's not draining from the head, and, and the thoughts aren't really going towards the other side. So, and that goes back to the chakra system I was describing, where you move that power up into yeah. your mind, yeah, for yeah. greater concentration. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it does suck for men, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just sitting here reading this, and I mean. We, she's kind of she's kind of saying we can be in a relationship, but no touching. But we can't we can't touch. Like there's no, no sex. <laughs> Sounds like every relationship <laughs> I have with a woman. <laughs> Sad but true. So a spiritualist couple from Philadelphia named Nelson and Jenny Holmes came to seek help from them. They had been publicly accused of fraud when the son of Robert Owen, founder of New Harmony's son Robert Dale admitted to being duped by them. The Holmeses manifested a spirit known as Katie King, who claimed to be the daughter of John King, a famous spirit to seance-goers on both sides of the Atlantic. When Eliza White sold a story to a newspaper about how she impersonated Katie for them, the Holmeses had read the Chittenden articles in the graphic and and appealed to Alcott to come to Philadelphia and test them. <laughs> Alcott obliged and concluded that Jenny Holmes was a genuine medium. Blavatsky had more inside knowledge, however. She said Jenny Holmes was only sometimes genuine. Like many mediums, she had little control over her powers, and when audiences demanded result or refund, she would resort to trickery. Michael C. Bettinelli also read articles written by Alcott. And with an interest in meeting Blavatsky, he wrote Alcott, requesting audience to discuss spiritualism. Blavatsky agreed, and Bettinelli traveled to New York from Georgia. Then he confessed his deep love and admiration for Helena, but she rejected him. He followed this by writing letters expressing his adoration. Alcott left Philadelphia, and Blavatsky stayed behind. Bettinelli remained persistent. Blavatsky told him that she did not wish to live as a married woman and that she was celibate. Bettinelli threatened suicide, and Blavatsky finally agreed that marrying him was a misfortune she could not escape. Is she still married to Blavatsky? Technically, yes, but her 
sister Vera had sent her a letter before this saying that he had died. Oh, okay. So she believes herself to be a widow at this point. Yes. Yeah. The highly unstable Bettinelli could not resist his animal urges, and after fending him off, Blavatsky left him. He sued for divorce and returned to Georgia. One incident during this union is worth mentioning. When Blavatsky exasperated her already injured knee, her doctor stated amputation was the only remedy. Blavatsky disagreed and instead for two nights slept with a white puppy straddled across her leg. Three days later, she was all better. What the? (laughs) (laughs) Then soon after returned to New York. (laughs) What? A white puppy? A white puppy straddled across her leg. That's the like kind that of was a bandage. I, want. <laughs> I really like. Oh, you hurt your ankle. Here's a puppy. <laughs> Here's a kitten. <laughs> no puppy. It, it's something worth trying before amputation. I'll say that. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I had a doctor tell me that the only way to heal me was to amputate, <clears throat> and yeah, yeah. my mom said, "Hell no." This was when I was ten, and this was the jet ski accident that I think I talked about a couple episodes ago. And we found a doctor who was willing to actually do the work on it and fix it. And it got fixed. Didn't have to get amputated. But a puppy would have went way cooler than what I went through. (laughs) 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 Three surgeries later, a puppy would have been much better. Now, by this time, Alcott had gathered his research in spiritualism and produced a book, People from the Other World, in March of 1875. It was a work put together from his graphic articles. The book mentioned Blavatsky and Alcott's account of what happened in Chittenden. The book was not a success. Even though both he and Blavatsky did some damage control on Robert Dale Owen's encounter with Katie King, interest in spiritualism was clearly on the decline, as there was an increasing skepticism about any non-material reality. Now, I'm not saying they were the sole reason for this, even though from the perspective of Blavatsky's mission, it would be a good thing. Spiritualism was probably losing its steam because it was leading nowhere. Sure, items floated and voices were heard during seances. It was a great parlor trick. But what the spirits had to say was not enlightening. The vast majority of messages from the dead were trivial, and while they brought solace to many... Most intelligent minds were just led to believe the afterlife was insufferably dull. People were yearning for something deeper, something enlightening, some sort of hidden or hard-to-obtain knowledge. And the spirits of the dead, if that's what they even were, was not the place to look. Astral hobos. (laughs) On September 7th, 1875, during a... Hashtag my birthday. (laughs) During a small lecture given by engineer, architect, and inventor George H. Feltz on, quote, the lost canon of preparation of the Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans, Alcott wrote an ideal on a scrap of paper and handed it to a new comrade, William Quan Judge, a 24-year-old Irish immigrant with an interest in spiritualism who had just passed the New York bar examination. Judge agreed and passed the note to Blavatsky. She read the idea, then nodded approvingly. The lecture continued, 
and Felt went on to claim that the men who designed the pyramids were adepts. The structures themselves were the product of an occult wisdom. This wisdom consisted of an exact mystical science, which could be housed in specific geometric designs. These geometric designs could be used to manifest spiritual presence, which felt associated with elementals. At the end of his lecture, he collected his $100 and left. Alcott announced to the room of 16 to 17 people of the idea that passed between Judge, himself, and Blavatsky. Everyone thought it was splendid. An immediate vote was taken, constituting those present into a society dedicated to the precise thing they were just discussing. Judge moved that Alcott be made chairman. Alcott recommended Judge for secretary. Official elections were held the next evening, and Blavatsky was made corresponding secretary. Various names were considered for a week's time, including Hermetic, Rosicrucian, Egyptological. But none seemed right to convey the sense that this would be something different. A man named Charles Sutherland, out of frustration, grabbed a dictionary and opened it. Was it fate? Chance? The masters? Some other force? He inquired to the room about the first word he saw. What about theosophy? Everyone agreed. Theosophy was formed of two Greek words, theos, which meant God, sophia, which means wisdom. So it roughly translated to God wisdom, divine wisdom, or wisdom of the gods, which could include wisdom about the god or gods, one leaning to theology, and the other leaning to mysticism. What theosophy meant would lead to more than one unsatisfactory attempt by theosophists to define it. William Judge circumvented this by saying, The strength of theosophy lies in the fact that it is not to be defined. On September 13, 1875, the Theosophical Society was born. Then on a meeting on November 17th at Mott Memorial Hall on Madison Avenue, it was made official. And as the saying goes, the world would never be the same. Part of the new society's aims was to apply scientific study to the phenomena familiar to spiritualists. Part of the society's aims was to apply scientific study to the phenomenon familiar to spiritualists, which meant maintaining standards of objectivity, detachment, precision, and neutrality. The Theosophical Society produced its mission statement, which many branches use as a guide today. One, to form the nucleus of a universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Two, the study of ancient and modern religions, philosophies, and sciences, and the demonstration of the importance of such study. Three, the investigation of the unexplained laws of nature and the physical powers latent in man. Blavatsky spent most of her time and energy in pursuit of the first. In one of her journals, Blavatsky explained, Any person of average intellectual capacities and learning towards the metaphysical of pure unselfish life, whom finds more joy in helping his neighbor than in receiving help himself, one who is ever ready to sacrifice his own pleasures for the sake of other people, and who loves truth, goodness, and wisdom, for their own sake, not for the benefit they may confer, is the Ostophist. 
So this meant, as she often pointed out, that there were many theosophists who weren't members of the society. And there were members of the society that were not necessarily theosophists. In this early period of the society, though, theosophy pretty much meant Blavatsky herself. And her position as corresponding secretary was an agreement she would be the society's theoretician and ideas person. The members looked to her for their sense of direction. Even Blavatsky herself would argue that philosophy was not a religion. But the next step in her mission was obvious. Her new movement needed its book. It needed its equivalent of a Bible. She started this task and would write Isis Unveiled, a mammoth compendium of hermetic, occult, and esoteric ideas, which would not be published until 1877. Something worth noting here is that in letters home to her sister while writing Isis Unveiled, she's told her she felt as though there was another consciousness present in her body. She retained her own sense of self, but there was someone else she shared memory and knowledge with, and it began to infuse its own consciousness into hers. A practice that in Tibetan Buddhism is associated with the phenomena known as tolka. This is when a yogi or holy man transfers his own consciousness into the mind of another. She also wrote to Vera that what she felt was at work was a, quote, higher and luminous self, thinking and writing for her. Do you guys remember during our tarot episode, we were discussing keeping your conscious mind occupied so your subconscious mind could manifest? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. There are many accounts of Blavatsky doing just this while writing Isis Unveiled, and at other points in her life when causing phenomena. The idea seems to be that engaging in purposeful but unimportant work, our everyday consciousness frees up space for our other self to appear. Chanting a mantra, repeating a prayer, and ceremonial magic are just a few methods of distraction for the everyday self. Blavatsky's occupier, in order to manifest was rolling in chain-smoking cigarettes, as well as playing solitaire. That's hot. (laughs) That's the type of woman I'm looking for, guys, right there. Solitaire and chain-smoking. Now, I'm going to point out at this time in America, a woman smoking tobacco was almost taboo. Are you serious? Oh, wait, this is is before the 1900s. This is the 18... This is 1875. Yeah. Well, wasn't it also, like, frowned upon them even... Like, because when we talked about the, the woman that, um, what's her name? Allie? Uh, the one who interviewed her in, uh, Oklahoma, uh, not Oklahoma City, <laughs> New York. <laughs> oh, New York. yeah, yeah. Okay, wasn't it like they didn't have those positions yet? Women were writers, but they weren't going to be your editors. They weren't going to be the publishers. Oh, okay. Like okay. I mean, that's even why Blavatsky is not the president of this association. Because even though she's the most intelligent person yeah, in that even association? even because she knows the most about it, it's because she's a female, and nobody would join if it was run by a female because females weren't supposed to do that kind of thing. Yeah. We're still at the point where they're playing the flute for their husbands. You know, like... This some bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Entertain your damn self. And, and that is probably why Ali even got this position. The editor was like, I got to send somebody to go investigate some psychic medium. Where, where's that girl that works for me? This yeah. is perfect for her. <laughs> We've amazingly come a long <clears throat> way since then. 
And I'm glad we have. Me too, because damn it. Like I said, entertain <laughs> your damn self. <laughs> so Blavatsky was manifesting some 25 pages a day turning towards this compendium. She employed what she described as a clairvoyant reading, where she said she could see the, these long manuscripts, which are not even available in America. Some have explained this away as her just having a phenomenal memory. But as described by many other biographers of hers, in 1875 America, a woman with a photographic memory would be a more startling feat than her getting her references from the nether. Sometimes I think having a photographic memory would be great. I don't I don't think that yes and no, because like you can like even like the most horrific parts of your life, it would like like Yeah, but those horrific parts of your life are like that anyway. Yeah. I mean that's 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 PTSD. That, that, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> that's really weird though, is like yeah. you can always remember those but you can have yeah. a hard time. Well it's because your brain well and I, maybe that's what it is with um photographic memories. Like with PTSD it's your brain's not processing the events yeah so it stays fresh and maybe that's what it is your brain doesn't process the events the same way with a photographic memory i don't know i haven't gotten much into memory memory studies but see i have a terrible memory in the first place so oh me too (laughs) having anything to melt me remember things over a week ago would be awesome you asked me where something (laughs) is and i immediately visualized the last place i saw it well i mean chad chad forgot where his juice was the other day and was in front of him the whole time I spent five <laughs> minutes looking for it, and it was literally about as close as this water bottle was. My daughter me. does that. Kylie, where are your shoes? I don't know. I can't find them. They're on your feet. They're right in front of your face. <laughs> now, Alcott and her shared an apartment over this time period on West 34th Street, where the Baron de Palme had died. His request to be cremated caused quite an uproar. There was a crematorium society in New York, but it hadn't burned any bodies yet and definitely wouldn't for what it considered an occult organization. Alcott finally made arrangements with Dr. Francis Lemoyne to use his private crematorium six months after the funeral of Baron de Palme. It was the first known cremation in the United States. News of the, quote, heathen goings-on reached all across America and Europe. The society was criticized for supporting too many a, quote, pagan custom. The debacle, however, only made the Theosophical Society more widely known, and cremation soon became an accepted practice. I still say, state, don't burn me, please. <laughs> I think that was the Past Lives episode? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, nope. Uh, no, not going to happen. In early 1876, Blavatsky and Alcott moved to an apartment in Hell's Kitchen, on West 47th Street off 8th Avenue. The apartment's unusual decor led a reporter to call it the La Maseret. Given the chum's taste for the exotic, Alcott decked the place out with a sordid autre bric-a-brac gathered from what used to be called curiosity shops. Japanese cabinets, a Swiss cuckoo clock, and a stuffed lioness's head greeted visitors as they entered an apartment wreathed in incense and tobacco smoke. An upright piano supported images of the Buddha and other spiritual leaders, and a stuffed gray owl leered eerily from a bookcase. Long, narrow mirrors stood on the corners of the rooms. Stuffed monkeys hung from the walls, as did several toy lizards, and potted palm fronds reached to the ceiling. 
A stuffed bat hung over a doorway. A stuffed crocodile hung over another. And the dining room wall featured a jungle tapestry, complete with a snake, a tiger, and an elephant surrounded by thick foliage. Another snake curled around the mantelpiece mirror. The most famous object de art, however, was the celebrated stuffed baboon. This Alcott dressed in a collar, white cravat, and a pair of glasses. And under one of its arms, he shoved the manuscript of a lecture on Darwin's origin of species. They christened the character Professor Fisk after an academic who propounded an extraordinary narrow materialistic view of the universe. The fuck? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Not all of the animals in the chum's menagerie were stuffed, though. In the menagerie, Blavatsky kept a pair of canaries, which she often let fly about the rooms. They even made a nest in the chandelier and using scraps from the growing manuscript. Ew. (laughs) I don't like birds anyway, but... I don't like birds just flying around my head. They poop on you. But speaking of, there is supposed to be a curiosity ex- a curiosity expo in Tulsa coming up. Oh, cool. And I'm kind of like, oh, maybe we should go to that. That would be awesome. Give me the dates. I'll take them off. I'm gonna, I got to look into it and find out when it's going to be. Oh, yeah. I'll be there. For the next few years, the Lamaserie was the favorite hangout where Christians, Jews, and heathens met with artists, intellectuals, and bohemians, as well as doctors, lawyers, and aristocrats. They would discuss every imaginable subject on earth, the heavens above the earth, and in the profoundest depths below. When Blavatsky wasn't working on Isis Unveiled, she would on occasion put on displays of her powers. According to William Kwan Judge, Blavatsky caused things to move unaided including a silver spoon that passed through two walls to reach her hand. She would materialize bottles of paint and created the hallucination of one of her rings to give to a woman that coveted it. During this time, Alcott describes demonstration of telepathy and materialization, clairvoyance, and something she called the, quote, astral light or, quote, Akashic record. Akasha being the Sanskrit word for either. Um, this. <laughs> you try to put it into words, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, d- like, there's at some point you just kind of have to go, <clears throat> bullshit. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, a spoon through a wall. Two walls. Two walls. Two walls. Okay, what's the movie where she's hold the girl is holding the spoon and wins it? Is that the Matrix or is that Phenomenon? No. What am I talking about? It's either Phenomenon or it's one of the witchcraft movies. Like I think it, they're sitting there and they're she's he's going to see a lady about a thing. A horse. <laughs> it's Phenomenon. And it's Phenomenon yeah. where the, the kids sitting in the waiting room and like the spoons like bending and yeah. Okay, yeah. but but I'm I'm all for spiritualism but some of this stuff is mm. <laughs> <laughs> celibacy it's what it gives you oh dude see i should i knew it when i was 18 years old i should have never did it <laughs> never see did it. what what i'm thinking at this point i'm thinking as much as i love la bla bla what madam blah 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 we're in episode 3 as much as i love Madame Blavatsky. 
I'm I'm starting to think we've got a little bit more of like a Terry at fairy tale. Yeah, but sleight of hand maybe. Well, you know, it was said earlier that she she studied from a magician. Yeah, like I feel yeah. like we got some sleight of hand working and maybe some mentalism type things going on. But yeah. I would it'd be awesome if it was all real. But yeah, I I, um. I am I'm going to play the bullshit card at this moment in time <laughs> on this story. We'll wait for you to retract that because I also have one uh, up there too. <laughs> I'm kind of holding back my opinion because I've been through the whole biography. So, well, my bullshit card is on the table. Make okay. me pull it back. <laughs> Helena Blavatsky would work on the compendium Isis Unveiled while Alcott worked at his office for his legal practice. Then he would proofread what she had written in the evenings. Alcott was baffled at the number of quotations he used, as they only had a few books in their library, and even the library close by didn't have the books she quoted. Either she was reading these from the, quote, Akashic Records, or she did have a phenomenal memory. Alcott also found it strange that her handwriting would change from subject to subject. Blavatsky explained this to Alcott, that others were writing through her. See, my bullshit card's still out there, because as I write, my handwriting changes. And what my handwriting is from the beginning to the end is completely different. You remember that from my letters that I'd write you when you were in Iraq. Uh-huh. My handwriting would start out <clears throat> nice and neat, and it would change, <laughs> and it'd go back, and it would just... It would be different, though, is like if you had a paragraph written in a certain way, right? And it, it, it would almost be like going from like curf- cursive to like regular writing. I do that on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, I do it, too. But at the same time, there's like also certain ways that people... No, is, is it that she's writing it differently, like... Style way because people with more or actually written by like the wording and the style of words chosen and changed. Well, all, all I'm saying is that like people with people with multiple personalities have the same deal. Like they, yeah, they have different ways of writing. Yeah, uh, yeah. maybe she's been collecting souls. We go back to that maybe because she's freaking like every time she almost dies she gets a new soul <laughs> and so like there's like fifteen <laughs> different souls no, in she, her body she, uh, that that uh, <laughs> that boat that blew up or whatever killed like four hundred people and there was only <laughs> she took all those souls she's feeding off of them she's yeah. a succubus <laughs> <laughs> she's a ho- uh, astral hobo <laughs> <laughs> there were other strange visitors as well to the Lamazery. Alco recalls a visitor that arrived wine-eating after the evening's work was done and he had retired to his room. While he was relaxing with a book and cigar, an Asian clad in white garments was suddenly towering over him. Long black hair hung below his shoulders and a yellow silk turban was crowned upon his head. He wore a long black beard, parted at the chin, and the ends curled up behind his ears. Alcott was impressed by the appearance and he bowed before him and bent a knee. The figure placed his hand on Alcott's head and asked him to sit. He told Alcott he knew he had reached a crisis in his life. It was up to the colonel whether or not in the future they would work together for the good of humankind. How long the meeting lasted is unclear. Alcott said it could have been an hour. When he was about to leave, Alcott thought it was impressive but this was probably just some trick of Blavatsky's. The man handed his turban to Alcott, and then he faded away, 
the turban stayed behind in his hand. Alcott said later of this meeting he was face to face with one of the elder brothers of humanity, one of the masters of our dull pupil race. While this was the most extensive visit from one of the masters at the Lamazari, it wasn't the first. In a letter to friends, he described two individuals from unknown parts that acted in a dreamlike, surreal way. They were in some way like the mysterious men in black. One who was a Cypriot gave the name Uton Liato. The other was a dark-skinned, gray-bearded man who didn't give his name. Liato materialized a bouquet of flowers that floated to the floor. He then made it rain in Alcott's room. Yeet. Soaking the colonel's his books, his cigar, and his carpet. The other visitor produced a crystal in which he saw fantastic visions. Alcott describes a lot of strange encounters with the Leato in his old diary leaves. Now, I'm only mentioning these encounters because they were part of the group of adepts that Blavatsky referred to as the, quote, masters, who had only ever appeared astrally to her at least to her knowledge, up to this point. It takes me back to the Tulpa episode when we were talking about the Buddhist monks or even um, Alexandra David Neal when she was talking about how she had created this Tulpa that then, uh, the the monk, that then other people started reported seeing. Mm -hmm. Are these masters Tulpas that she's created? That are now taking on life forces of their own? Could be. What When you were reading that, that's what I started thinking about was maybe these are actually tulpas that she's created. These people that she's been talking to in her head. Kind of a beautiful mind type situation where she's been talking to these people in her head the whole time. But now she's created them to a point that they have taken on their own life. And they are actually going and visiting other Alcott. people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it w- it would be interesting to see if anybody else besides her or Alcott has that experience with them. And the only reason why I feel like Alcott would have experiences with them is because he is close to her. Yeah. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So they're like kind of tied well spiritually. You know? Yeah. And Let's get back to Isis Unveiled. Another helper other than Alcott in this work was Alexander Wilder, a professor of philosophy as well as a physician and an archaeologist, J.W. Booten, who approached by Alcott to publish this massive compendium. Wilder had found it a, quote, truly ponderous document that displayed research in a very extended field. But Booten felt it needed to be shortened down. After meeting Blavatsky, though, he was so impressed that he agreed to take on the enormous work of editing this tome as a, quote, Labor of Love. On September 29, 1877, the published title to the finished work is Isis Unveiled, a Master Key to the Mysteries of Ancient and Modern Science and Theology. Against all odds, Isis Unveiled became an overnight success. The first 1,000 copies sold in a week. Are you thinking what is an Isis Unveiled about? This work is more than 1,400 pages and around half a million words. To put that in perspective for some of you casual readers out there, the classical Gone with the Wind has 418,053 words. For the fantasy fan, 
the entire Lords of the Ring trilogy is only 455,125 words. For all you ladies, the entire Twilight Saga is 575,710. For all you kinky ladies, the Fifty Shades trilogy is 495,625 words. I'm a Twilight And lady. just so you guys know, I didn't look up that information because I wouldn't look that far into Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I, or Twilight. I have read... The Twilight series and Fifty Shades of Grey. I stayed up the other night and watched all five films. Because <laughs> I realized they're Twilight, Twilight <laughs> films. <laughs> yeah, Twilight there's, films. There's four. There's five. Breaking Dawn part one and two. Boom. Get wrecked. <laughs> Nerd. Really? <laughs> You're telling her to get wrecked and you watched all five Twilight films. <laughs> In one night. Hey, man. I own them all. A, a man likes but. what he likes, okay? All right? A man obviously <laughs> has no taste. The, well, I enjoy them, but I also enjoy the books quite much. Quite much? Quite much. Quite much. <laughs> quite a lot. Fifty Shades of Grey. They were okay. I, I fell asleep in that movie every time I tried to watch I it. How? At the time. <laughs> I put them along the lines Easy. of Hunger Games and the fact too much whiny bitchy. I, I'm the one that came up with all these numbers, but I didn't want to present it because I'm presenting Gary Lackman's work. But I chose, I chose books and novels that were popular reads. Yeah, yeah. And I can't think of. Uh, there's not a single person I could think of that hasn't read Fifty Shades of Grey that's a woman. I'm sure there are, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I haven't read it. But you I'm, picked all. I mean, in, very popular in in my circle of people. Yeah. Um, fulfilling her mission was no easy task, and when in full swing, Blavatsky found herself fighting a battle on three fronts. The spiritualists were having a tough enough time defending themselves against both the church, who thought them demonic, and scientists, who thought them absurd. Blavatsky would take on both of the spiritualists' enemies, as well as the spiritualists, too. The central theme of Isis Unveiled is the revival of the ancient Hermetic philosophy. Isis Unveiled conveys that, quote, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of. The work includes Western esoteric and occult traditions. Blavatsky wants to, at this time, reestablish the ancient Hermetic Neoplatonic tradition, the outlines of which she had discovered in her great-grandfather's library over 30 years ago when she was just 14 years old. She goes into Lincoln Isis unveiled that the kind of phenomenon that spirits associate with the dead were known to the ancient sages, and they, like her, knew that the dead didn't produce them, the, quote, elementals did, or they were the products of the ancient magicians themselves. And she criticized that meetings of today were of a weak, sick mind, because a healthy mind would naturally prevent these lower entities from dominating it. This ideology made her enemies with the spiritualists. Oh, no, she didn't. Snap, girlfriend. <clears throat> a central argument in Isis Unveiled is that all of the world's religions sprang from a common source. The ancient wisdom religion that Blavatsky identified with the Hermetic philosophy, the ideal of a common ancient, quote, primordial origin for Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, and all the rest is found today in the work of the traditionalist school. When Isis Unveiled appeared, 
Western consciousness had entered a metaphysical black hole. Although Christianity was still a powerful presence, it was losing to a reductive materialistic science, which concluded that the universe and the life within it was ultimately meaningless. Because by this time, Darwin's book, The Origins of Species, was already in print for the past 17 years and translated to many languages. And while spiritualism offered some support for the belief of a non-material reality, it was not enough. And religious faith was of little help. What was needed was knowledge. Blavatsky was the first person to intellectually and not religiously criticize Darwinian evolution. In Isis Unveiled, she argued that Darwinism only told part of the story. The part that takes place on our current physical world. This leaves out what happens before and after. So basing her vision on the hermetic belief that everything in the universe is an emanation of spirit, which means creation emerges from the Godhead, rather than the Judeo-Christian belief that God is separate from a creation that might as well not exist. Blavatsky argued that the transition from ape to man is only part of the evolution of everything back to gods and goddesses. After passing through a period of necessary separation, spirit returns to itself, enriched by its voyage. This was the first philosophy of psychic and spiritual evolution to appear in the West. Blavatsky also offered the Kabbalistic aphorism, A stone becomes a plant, a plant a beast, a beast a man, a man a spirit, and a spirit a god. Each perfected species in the physical evolution only affords more scope to the directing intelligence to act within the improved nervous system. For Blavatsky, mind is not banished by evolution, but uses it in order to develop itself. In this way, rather than oppose science to religion, Blavatsky combines the two and transcends them both. These ideologies made her enemies with the church and with many scientists. Isis Unveiled is such a huge work that it can be read on many levels. Interestingly enough, a great deal of contemporary, quote, alternative literature was first announced by Blavatsky. When she asks her readers, Do the relics we treasure in our museums, last mementos of the long-lost arts, speak loudly of the favor of ancient civilizations? Graham Hancock wrote many works along that theme. When she tells us, Ages before Columbus clothed the waters of the Phoenician vessels had circumnavigated... Jeez. <laughs> it was so easy. I was doing so good. Oh, you're doing great. Oh, yeah. Ages before <laughs> Columbus... <laughs> you okay over there? Do I need to put on a girl voice? Ages before, Ages Columbus. before Columbus. Ages before Columbus clove the western waters, Phoenician vessels, and circumnavigated the globe and spread civilization in the regions now silent and deserted. Who will dare assert that the same hand which planned the pyramids in Egypt did not erect the monumental Nagnawat of Cambodia? Charles Hapgood expressed many ideas about a prehistoric maritime civilization that encircled the globe. Even Eric von Daniken, who wrote of, quote, ancient astronauts, 
and the science of earlier civilizations. At the period of far anterior, even, no, that's not what that says at all. (laughs) There's no even there. (laughs) Oh, shit. Ah. At a period far anterior to the siege of Troy, the learned priests and of the sanctuaries were thoroughly acquainted with the electricity and even lightning conductors. Good job. <laughs> conductors. Arguments for mesmerism, hypnotism, precognition, psychometry, the, s- the cyclical theory of history, elementals, the evolution of the planets, the unity of all religions, prehistoric civilizations, animal reincarnation, magic, and much, much, much more are all presented in Isis Unveiled. The central message is that the dull, dead mechanical universe, which a modern science was applauding at the height of human consciousness, was quite simply false, and that the world was infinitely more mysterious, more fascinating, and more alive than what science could prove at the time. The ancients knew this, and they built a deeper science on that belief, a science Blavatsky was here to revive. This ideology made her enemies with many scientists. She wrote the following concerning, quote, astral light or, quote, Akashic records that was allegedly used to quote the many references of Isis unveiled. The astral light keeps an unmutilated record of all that was, that is, or will ever be. The minutest acts of our lives are imprinted on it, and even our thoughts rest photographed on its eternal tablets. It is, in short, the memory of God. Yet the astral light or Akashic record are something more than a cosmic hard drive. She says it is accessible to anyone. In the stillness of the night hours, when our body's senses are fast locked in the fretters of sleep, the astral forms become free and soars to its parents and hold conversations with the stars. Astral means of the stars. No man, however gross and material he may be, can avoid leading the double existence, one in the visible universe and the other in the invisible. This remark is the central insight of all hermetic, esoteric, occult, and spiritual philosophy. Human beings are the inhabitants of two worlds, the mundane world we unavoidably encounter every day and the other world which transcends this one, a world where we are not constrained by the limits of time and space. Shortly after the unveiling of Isis, Helena Blavatsky and Colonel Alcott were packing their bags. Blavatsky received orders from Master Moria, and they were to leave before December 17th for a journey to the east. How far east will be discussed in our next episode. But no, no, let's, let's, let's talk about this book, though. I mean, yeah. that is everything that is considered spiritualism mm-hmm. is in Isis Unveiled. Yes. Kind of makes me interested in actually like trying to find a copy, a copy of, it. of it. Oh, you can find it. It's, it's real easy. I mean, it's 
<laughs> it's fourteen hundred pages. It's it's. I got my work. free Audible book for the month. Let me. <laughs> might we'll, take me all month to listen. We'll to find it. it in pop up version, and we'll read it on the Patreon along with the books of Enoch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Gary Lackman said that this book is best not to read from cover to cover, but to do kind of like a bedside reading with it, where you know you read a couple pages a day here and there. So, like reading the Bible, where you're not. The Bible is not really written to read in order. Any, I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's more of a you open it, kind of some you know, biblical mancy. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Open it and read a section out of it, and yes, you know. Oh, look! Today, God wants me to read about Psalms fourteen seventy two. Psalms is a hell of a book, ladies and gentlemen. So, so I I want y'all's opinion. Does she have a photographic phenomenal memory, or is she actually looking into the other world and reading this? Stuff? I don't know. My BS card is still out there. I have not How's retracted that? it yet. Uh, my 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 card's out there as well. But at the same time, um, I don't understand how you live through four or five near-death experiences and still yeah i mean that's that's what's that's the only thing that's like actually keeping me there yeah you know i'm on the edge of my seat you know and i want to i want to listen to the rest of this which we will get to it but i don't understand how you survive two two boats two boats one had 400 people on it and it exploded and only 16 survived yes Mm -hmm. she didn't even have a scratch she didn't even have a scratch on her yeah, I mean, come She's on. She's fallen off of two horses. First time, nothing happened. The second time, broke her spine. Was in a coma. And broke her spine. In, yes, in a coma. She was in a battle. Got shot twice. Got and shot. Her arm broken. Then got a shot puppy at healed her. another time. Yes, she got healed by a puppy. Yeah, we had a brown hand slap the doctor away. I mean, that part right there kind of points to like a little. It just I, gives me that dark feeling. I would. That's is that the doctor's accounts or is that her accounts of what the doctor said? You know, I don't actually know. It would be more if that was the actual doctor's accounts. But if she's just like, and you know, there was this one time this doctor was working on my leg. She's Russian, not country. <laughs> <laughs> I assume since she was taught English by a british tutor that she, she would, would have that, yeah. have that british accent and it's not really such british a hot accent. also if anyone's wondering uh isis unveiled is not on audible <laughs> oh. <laughs> did you find any copies of it though i just looked on audible because okay. i have my free book of the month <laughs> Got I, I haven't looked into it either but i would imagine because it's a lot of occult stuff it's a lot of diagrams and yeah. charts and things it, like it kind of reminds stuff. me of like maybe her her book of shadows you know, every yeah. every Wiccan witch, probably Drew, I don't know, the Druids have Books of Shadows? Eh, I don't uh, know. It's kind of different. A lot of, a lot of pagans, I mean, in a Book of Shadows, all a Book of Shadows is, is your rituals that you practice and your belief systems and knowledge that you obtain as you grow in your crafts. But that's kind of what this is. This is her knowledge, her experience in one giant tome. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I still like her. She's still my spirit animal. No, I'm I'm on the same page. I I still like her, and I I love I love the autobiography. If anything, she's an excellent like storyteller. I mean, I know she didn't write this book, but these are stories that she told, and it was enough to capture huge audiences. So, if anything, she's a great storyteller. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and 
but I don't know. I'm just I'm torn. I want I want to believe, but my my bullshit monitor is going off. By the way, it's uh thirteen or fourteen dollars on Amazon for paperback and twenty eight dollars for hardback, <laughs> and two dollars for Kindle. <laughs> You know, well, you those, know, those who are interested in... I might get the hardback copy just for I collection. Say, I'm actually thinking about buying the hardback copy myself. I would rather have the Kindle copy because you can search by keyword. Well, you can do that, too, but I want it Mine's for my, more I want for, it for actually collection. reading and... Yeah. 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 I don't want to read it. I, I will. I've, I've got five, six different versions of the Bible. You think I sat and read, read those things? Read them? Rad I haven't read them either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... They're just in my collection. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but to, to, to be honest with you, like, there's so much information. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's so, un, it's overwhelming, not so much underwhelming, because it's just like, you see this one woman, and even from her upbringing, you know, like her, her mom in general, okay, yeah, 16 years old, has her, dies from t- tuberculosis at the age of 26, 28. right? 28, yeah. sorry. 28. 28. And like it's like a baby raising a baby, exactly. Yeah. You know? And her mom's last words were, "You'll struggle." Those oh yeah. girls almost died like fifteen times oh, now. Yeah. And yeah. now, her words were, "She will suffer." Suffer, suffer. My she bad. Will suffer. That was two episodes ago, three mm-hmm. episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I want to believe it. I do. Like, there's this part of me that really, really wants to believe all these stories. But yeah, when there's also, like, I, really, the spoon thing. The spoon thing is the one thing that's got me going. That's why I'm like, Ugh. bullshit. Like, everything else I could, like, I believe, but the spoon. <laughs> but, I mean, there's the, uh, the only thing I can say is, like, I, is, I mean, that right there is all pointed to bullshit. But at the same time, you always hear about stories about kids or people with special powers that can make things float. And it's like, if you can make it float. That's X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> so hitting our realities, Nick. Shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> also, if those are interested, you can read it for free on Google Books. No. Oh, really? There you go, Dave. Mm-hmm. You can get that on your Kindle, too. I, uh, Google. I still want the hardback copy. I wonder who the money goes to. Because she never had any children. Alcott? She's still alive. She's not dead. Are you <laughs> freaking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> she survives two boat incidents and then breaks her spine, and then gets shot twice, breaks her arm, and she's still fucking alive. I guarantee you, she is. You know what? Even if she's in a different body, yes, she, 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 she found has, a way. To she get has <laughs> traveled herself into a different fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag we know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, yes, I'm torn. I'm so torn. I guarantee you, though, you could find somebody at like a Tibetan temple or or a Buddhist situation that would know her name, and because I mean, she she traveled so much. Yeah, she well, traveled yeah. so much. Nowadays, I don't think you would find a Tibetan monk who. I mean, they, might they wouldn't have, have known her, but yeah, no, they, they would know her name. They would know of her. I mean, I'm not even sure that would be true. We know of her. Yes. But the monks, I mean, their belief is in in whatever, no, in whatever religion they are the monks of. Buddhism? (laughs) Well, there's different branches of Buddhism. 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 
Yeah. <laughs> We're hitting that yeah, point absolutely. of insanity at the there's, night. But there's, so there is they're probably branches. not thinking of someone who's into the occult and wrote a book about that. Yeah. They don't think about that. They would have probably no clue. But she was there to study them, correct? Or study? She was studying with them. With but them doesn't mean. I mean, Tibetan I get where, monks I get, yeah. now. Yeah. Unless, know who unless she there is. was a Tibetan monk somewhere that said, "We must write this down." Yeah, we're gonna and put, put this, this in our everyday scribe. studies. And you know, I've there it is, been, bitch came down here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've I've been studying this esoteric stuff, this occult stuff, for a decade or more. And the first time I ever heard her name was when I was doing research for the Thought Forms episode. Yeah, I'd and never heard of her. That's only because Alexander David Neal talked about her. Here is how... Here's one of the reasons why I, I like to believe in this and believe in her, is because there are lots of coincidences that happen. And we're discovering this a lot with when we do our research. We will research something that we had just talked about in a previous episode. Yeah. And it all correlates. Mm-hmm. We That's did pretty the, much what she's saying. We did our Tulpa yeah. episode. First time I'd ever heard of Madame Blavatsky. That same week that we recorded that episode, I'm listening to last podcast on the left. Henry mentions Madame Blavatsky. And I was like, That's kind of interesting. To see it's little things like that that kind of prove this to me. And you can call it coincidences or whatever, but I don't feel like it's coincidences because I will tell you also, since we have been doing, or Dave's been reading this book on Blavinsky, Blavatsky. <laughs> you said it so well. I was gonna, I was gonna compliment you. I was gonna be like, oh my god, you done so well. Uh, Blavatsky. <laughs> yeah. Weird stuff's been happening around our house, and I've been seeing things out the corners of well, my eyes. Literally, as we do on this podcast, things fell behind us. From by the windows to the floor. And nobody's near to touch yeah. it. Like, just random things like that. I've been seeing things out of the corners of my eyes. So, I don't know. Is it we're messing with energies just by researching this stuff and researching her? Well, it's like opening gateways. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we have some astral hobos that are in here picking on us because we're making fun of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... It's just interesting to me, and that's why I want to believe it. Yeah, it's because I'm witnessing things that are just odd. Man, when you open your when you, when you open your mind to, to certain things, especially like researching the occult and whatnot, and especially somebody as iconic as she is, and powerful as her, and yeah. powerful as she is, it you're gonna get the. There was there was one point I was talking to Dave about it. He's like, "Do you think with us reading this information on her that we are?" bringing her energy in here uh, if she's that powerful and like I thanks made, you just gave me cold chills it made me think <laughs> of, it made me think <laughs> of the book american gods oh yeah and how when you talk about the gods and you talk about you know so whatever, you're saying it, she's a god she, she might as well be she refers to herself oh she refers to she's a like, master a master but like when, she, when we're talking about the spirits and whatnot she refers to like the line yeah, you know, from human to spirit to, to God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now you so, think at this point she would be God, a God. But you know, talking about them is kind of like worshiping them, which then gives them power. Exactly. So, and us studying her and researching her and talking about her, are we giving her power? I think it's more of like a spiritual ripple, like you a, know? like a time, like yeah. a. You're yeah. saying that I'm literally just get, like feeling a cold spot, like 
right by me. I actually, my hands are cold right now. All of a sudden. <laughs> Weird, random shit like that. You know, it's just, it just happens. And I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to think of her sitting here at the table. And every time I call the bullshit card out, she's like, you know, her Russian or not Russian, her, sorry, her Ukrainian little voice. Yeah, I don't know. Calling bullshit back on me. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You're feeling it now? You it is cold right yeah. here over my computer. I'm feeling like this cold air just come past my face over towards Amy. The air conditioner's not on because <laughs> it's like it's 30 January. degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right here. Well, let's all. I can feel it going past me. I'm sucking in Blavatsky. Blavat. Blavat. She's just Blavatsky. pissed because you can't say her name. <laughs> Listen, you're about to be. <laughs> 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 you're about to say her name. Ah, Blavatsky. Sorry, I'm running the mic. All right. All in all, it's pretty interesting. Uh, just, I mean, we're not even done with it. You know? Yeah. We're not even done oh, with no. it. There's so many more pages to go through. But from where she started to where she went, and like we said originally, like. You didn't live that long back then, so you had very few years to get done with what you wanted to do with your life. Yeah. And she's done so much more than anybody I know of, both yeah. in history and personally. That I mean, that's just so much. Here, let's do an age check real quick. It Right now, it's 1877, and she was born in 1831. 46? 46 years old. She is 12 years older than I am right now. I haven't experienced half the stuff she has. I don't want to experience half the stuff <laughs> yeah. she has. I mean, Amy, if you went through the same things that she did with the same amount of like just perseverance, you would be like one hell of a vampire slayer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sitting here thinking. I cover the grays now. Can I imagine my life if I was her? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I was shocked, though, when you said she was a blonde. Yeah, I was, too. <laughs> I, I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, well-behaved women seldom make history. Very, Very true. true. Cheeks. <laughs> <sighs> well, I think that's going to do it for our third episode of Madame Blavatsky. And we'll come at you next week with episode four. And we'll cover it and we'll finish it up then. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes and like us, follow us, and DM us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can always email us at umpnormalcy at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our Patreon page for extra bonus content. And until next week, keep digging.